I'm joined on the phone now by my usual Monday guest, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you doing here today? I'm good, thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, how, how are you feeling these days? I know when we talked, you know, last week there was concerns around whether you could make it through a segment without coughing, and you did it last week, but I'm just wondering, you know, a week removed from that, how you doing now? Um, I'm on the upswing. The cough is getting worse, but it's but the rest of all the symptoms are better, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> all right, well, well. Just uh, keep hoping that you continue to feel better, and, uh, yeah, those symptoms will eventually go away, so you can eventually get out of your house, because what are you on, like, day 16 of quarantine now? i got to be imagining you're driving yourself a little bit crazy at this point. Yep, a little bit, but <laughs> thankfully I have a lot of work to keep me busy. <laughs> Perfect, and hopefully chats like this are helping you as well. Um, so we did want to talk a little bit about something that wasn't totally COVID-19 related, so I wanted to start with that because... Uh, well, I just wanted to get off that subject for a little bit. So um, there was this case uh, by the Supreme Court. Um, basically, it was relates to uh, Ken Chung in uh, in Vancouver. He was driving 140 in a 50 kilometer an hour zone. I believe this was in 2015. Uh, he ended up killing a driver, and uh, you know, initially he was acquitted of the dangerous driving charge that was handed to him as a result. But the Supreme Court uh, eventually took on the case and said, no, that that dangerous driving charge should be upheld. So just initial thoughts on that decision by the Supreme Court. Well, um, it's a really interesting decision because it's the first time we've seen an explicit uh, statement by the Supreme Court of Canada that that excessive speeding on its own, even just for a moment, can amount to dangerous driving. And that really changes the landscape for drivers in British Columbia, um, especially up in uh, in and around Kamloops and uh, on the highways up there where people are often going well in excess of the speed limit because they feel comfortable with those roadways and feel like they've got kind of a pass to do it. So with that in mind, though, I mean, you know, I guess what what are your major concerns with with that? being upheld with the dangerous driving charge being upheld in this particular case i mean i guess the the precedent would be set as a result of this but um you know wouldn't this particular case be a little bit unique in the fact that the driver that he the other driver that he hit you know did did die as a result of that collision so shouldn't that uh, you know maybe be taken into account when you're talking about this specific decision and you know it's not just about speeding but it's also about an injury as well you would think that, but in fact, the way that the law works on dangerous driving charges is it doesn't look at the consequences of your driving, because you can drive like a complete maniac for miles and miles and miles and not cause anybody death, but you can put the public at serious risk. So what dangerous driving looks at is whether your conduct is a marked departure from the standard of a reasonably prudent driver. And it doesn't matter whether you have extensive consequences as a result of your driving or no consequences whatsoever as a result of your driving. It's about the manner of the driving only. So could you maybe take me through this just, uh, you know, just I want you to kind of break it down for me a little bit more just so I can get a real good sense of, of why this is a concern to you. So, um, you know, you say the 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 results of your driving or the the actions that your driving results in are not necessarily taken into account so can you give me a case where this precedent that is set as a result of this uh, ken chung incident why um you know why that could have a, a negative impact on someone who who is just speeding and you know isn't necessarily driving that crazy but maybe their their foot got a little heavy in a in a, in a moment and um you know what what kinds of consequences could result uh, from this precedent here well, the result is that anybody who would ordinarily be charged with excessive speeding, so just getting a ticket, getting their car impounded for seven days and potentially going to traffic court if they want to dispute it, is now potentially liable 
for a dangerous driving charge. And the power to make that decision about whether you're being charged criminally or whether you're just going to get a traffic ticket is in the hands of the police officer at the roadside. It's what they decide to do in that moment. Um, and I deal with clients all the time who are pulled over, who have been, you know, going well and above the speed limit, and who say the police officer's yelling at me and they say that I could kill somebody and I'm scared what's going to happen. And it used to be, well, you're going to get a ticket and it's going to be okay. You know, the worst is going to happen to you. But now these people are facing the potential of a criminal record on the basis of that driving. So it changes the landscape completely for advising people as well as the consequences that people might face when they encounter a police officer. So essentially, I guess, for, from what I gather from that is, you know, there's more of a concern that officers might be more willing to hand out a dangerous driving ticket or a dangerous driving charge to an individual um, than they might have been prior to this. It just makes them a little bit more maybe willing to give out some kind of charge in that regard because it's more likely to stick, I guess, now. Yes, and then, of course, for the person who's facing that charge, they have greater jeopardy, the potential of a criminal record. If they're convicted, it's a one-year driving prohibition minimum uh, that they're going to be receiving. Um, the potential for very high fines, you know, in, in two or $3,000 range is not uncommon. Um, and having to navigate through the court system, which is expensive and time-consuming. Whereas if you get a ticket, you pay your ticket and you go on, or you dispute your ticket and you go to your court date. It's not multiple court appearances and a trial and all of the costs associated with and this, of course, costs taxpayers, too, because every case that's not dealt with as a ticket but instead dealt with as a trial and a criminal matter means more money is spent for a prosecutor, for a sheriff, for a judge, for all of the resources necessary to run a matter through the court system. Um, I guess, do you have, um, you don't have to have specific examples, but, you know, just where other incidents or other charges like this would become precedent-setting and then it does make officers maybe a little more trigger-happy when trying to, you know, decide what charges to lay out? I mean, is that something that you see very often when you're looking at an extreme charge like this when we're talking about dangerous driving versus a speeding ticket? Obviously, um, almost apples and oranges when talking about a comparison. Uh, do, do you see a lot of cases where when this precedent-setting case is put out by the Supreme Court, uh, do you see officers often getting a little bit more trigger happy on those other offenses and say well you know I, even if i don't believe this is necessarily warranted I'll, I'll just lay the charge and then you can kind of deal with it in the court system do, do you see those kinds of uh, trends happening quite frequently I do. In fact, when the Court of Appeal released their judgment, which the Supreme Court of Canada confirmed in this case, um, a lot of police officers came to me at that time and said, this is great. Now I can charge people criminally. And they were happy about this and they were excited to be able to use that power. Um, and you know, any time I see somebody who's excited to use the power to make things worse for another person, of course, I am concerned. Um, that might not be their motivation, but it does, you know, it does empower police officers to make the most life altering decision they can make when dealing with somebody somebody, even if that's not necessarily appropriate. It also blurs the lines between when you're supposed to go with a motor vehicle act charge for excessive speeding as opposed to dangerous driving. What is the, you know, we now have no direction for what the decision-making point is. It's just if the speed is excessive, you can go criminal. That gives the public no certainty about what they're facing, um, which makes any interaction you have with a police officer in the context of speeding um, something where they're more vulnerable. Yeah, well, uh, I guess, you know, once once the precedent is said, it's just uh, up to those uh, issuing those tickets to decide how far they want to take them. Uh, anything else that you wanted to add on that specific subject here, Kyla, before we kind of shift gears? We only have a, a little bit of time left, but figured I'd give you one chance to, um, you know, if there was anything else on that particular Ken Chung case that you wanted to, to add. 
Well, if you get any type of uh, of ticket or charge for driving at an excessive speed, it's always important to take it seriously because the consequences either way are very significant. All right, and I did want to ask this. It was sort of a follow-up to what we talked about last week when we were we were asking about, you know, what happens if, if someone is found to be breaking uh, their quarantine rules and you don't want to send them to prison because you don't want to have someone who is a positive COVID-19 case put into the system. And the reason I'm asking this is because uh, last week there was a case, I believe it was out of uh, Nova Scotia, um, where a woman who had been feeling unwell and I believe had a presumptive case, maybe it was even positive, I honestly can't remember off the top of my head, but she was arrested uh, and basically sent home, and then the next day she was arrested again. I mean, how can we deal with people who are going out and doing this kind of stuff? Uh, clearly an arrest was not enough of a deterrent for this particular woman, and, and like I said, we talked a little bit about this last week, so just how do you, how do you think we can deal with people who might be you know, going out when they shouldn't be? I think that really that's where things call on us to get creative because the answer is not putting them in jail and denying them bail while they're facing the charges for violating the Quarantine Act or anything like that. Um, that answer is not satisfactory because it exposes a vulnerable population. It exposes corrections workers. Um, so we have to get creative with bail conditions. And, and the criminal code and, and federal legislation and even provincial legislation um, allow for the imposition of all sorts of different types of bail conditions, including potential for things like electronic monitoring, which we see, of course, with the Huawei case. Um, that electronic monitoring is still, is still going on. Things like that can be used. Um, they can uh, they can monitor her physically by posting a, a police officer at her door, although that would be kind of a waste of resources. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, requirements that she would have to check in with a uh, with a bail supervisor by telephone, even up to multiple times a day. Present herself at the door of her residence when uh, a police officer knocks at the door, and they can just send officers periodically to check on her. Those are all sort of conditions we see commonly in bail orders for people who've had multiple breaches. And so those same types of orders that protect the public as well as keep somebody out of jail are the types that we should be employing in these types of circumstances. Yeah, well, I hope we don't have to deal with too many of these cases, but clearly they are happening. So uh, it's just one thing that uh, we'll have to be paying attention to and see how uh, the law enforcement is able to handle it. But thank you so much, Kyle. Always appreciate your time. Love talking to you, and we'll do it again next week. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. That was Acumen Laws. Hi, Lily.